Proudly coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the Frontier Podcast. I'm your host, Ledge, and we are powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on iTunes and join the conversation at the Frontier Pod on Twitter. Giddy up! Innovative shopping experiences drive e-commerce revenues by turning shoppers into buyers. In this episode, I talked with Andrew Goldman, VP of Product Engineering and R&D at Fluid. Andrew and his team have innovated the Fluid Configure product all the way from Flash and Flex to React and Node. Their metadata and decision engine tackles the most complex of product configurators for the likes of Oakley, Fender, and Louis Vuitton. Andrew walks me through the importance of T-shaped skills and avoiding the hero pattern while growing an international team. Andrew, great to have you, man. Thanks for uh, joining us. Thanks, Ledge. Great to be here. Can you give your two or three minute story, you know, you, your work, uh, and what you're doing and where you came from? Sure, sure. Absolutely. Well, uh, I'm leading the development of Fluid Configure right now, um, online product configuration platform. The idea is that we take um, these product definitions, which uh, consist of kind of the data that sits behind a configurator, as well as the imagery associated with it, and uh, have a, a platform based on that that allows um, the quick iteration and implementation of a wide variety of different online configurators. So we work, for example, with Oakley doing glasses, we work with Fender doing guitars, uh, Louis Vuitton for luxury goods, and the you know it's it's a platform, so all the code is basically the same, the underlying code, and then the implementations provide the differences in uh, you know just the details, the look and feel, the branding, the way it's all presented. So there's uh, got to be hundreds of different types of variables that you need to pull together like metadata for any given type of product. A guitar has many different dimensions, uh, different than a pair of glasses. Is that, is that all built in like a big metadata engine? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it is exactly like you said, in quite, quite encompassing and complex, you know, there's the, the surface level, like you just said, you know, like if you're configuring a guitar, you know, it's like the color and the materials, the body, the, the tuning pegs are different options. The pickups have different options, things like that that are specific to a guitar. Whereas for glasses, you've obviously got like different frame colors and different lenses and different types of lenses and so on. So that's kind of the surface level, but then there's also these configurator configuration interdependencies. So if you're, uh, you know, some of these are, are, are based on manufacturing constraints and some are sort of brand specific, but, but like, for example, if, if, uh, Oakley, I don't think this is the real deal, but if, for instance, they didn't want you to be able to put the, the little Oakley logo on the side, make it the same color as the frame because they wanted it to pop a little more. So you'd have to build that kind of logic into the configurator to say like the choice you make here constrains the choice you can make there. So, so it's a, a big decision like engine that. as well. What's right. the technology look like in solving a problem like that? I mean, I know you guys have done it over the course of a number of years. So probably, <laughs> there's probably some kind of evolution and, uh, you know, sort of legacy up to modern standards. So, you know, yeah. just maybe take me through the story there. 
Sure. Yeah, right. No, you're absolutely right. This, this technology has evolved a ton. It started out um, in flash back in the day, you know, this is going back, you know, over 10 years. <laughs> um, and then, you know, flash kind of fell out of, out of fashion at the same time that HTML was getting more capable in JavaScript. So we've moved from flash front end into um, uh, like a react based front end. Uh, similarly, <laughs> the backend technology that we used to manage the metadata, um, we started out using Flex for that, partially because we were tied into Flash on the front end, so Flex on the back end. And uh, the urgency to change that has been a little lower, um, but we are also moving that over to React as well. Um, the, the server technology on the, on the runtime part, you know, the consumer-facing piece, um, is written in Node. And for the metadata management, it's written in Java. The ORM capabilities of Java using things like Hibernate, it, you know, like I'm not really predisposed to using Java so much, <laughs> but the, man, just the JPA and Hibernate make Java a, a great choice still, I think, for CRUD type backends. Do you guys, um, you host it on all cloud now? Yeah, we've been on um, the cloud for for years. Uh, we've worked primarily with Amazon, um, and that's been awesome. You know, we've had really great experiences with um, the whole infrastructure as code thing. And you know, going back several years, we had been working with uh, Chef and Cloud Formation tied into AWS. Um, and like I said, it's it's been great, you know, but as in recent years, just in the last few years, we've started to move into the Docker and Kubernetes worlds, um, allowing for kind of more efficient use of our resources, being able to, to have sort of lighter weight microservices to kind of existing in this uh, cluster environment. It gives us more flexibility in the uh, scale of our deployments, more efficiency, and also uh, faster boot up times when we're horizontally scaling. When we were in this old uh, chef world, you know, you, you detect through your monitor, like, all right, man, we need another server to come online. And then like the hamsters go off and hit the wheel and you know, like five minutes later, you got it. But in the meantime, your application stack has been struggling, you know, with Docker, just everything's faster. The, the process of adding nodes is simpler than the process of uh, provisioning a server used to be. And in many cases, you can add new pods without even having to add nodes, which is like dramatically faster. And uh, before, before we were recording off mic, we were talking about how, you know, you have um, nearshore teams, you said Argentina, and you've got US teams, and you're in a microservices type of pattern there, which tells me that you have to organize in some ways, at least your, your dev teams around um, different services. So obviously you have a DevOps infrastructure that's important there. And uh, probably I'm guessing some, at least CI, if, if not CD. And, yep. uh, you know, so yeah, what's that look like and how do you organize across, you know, the, the multi-location teams? Right. Yeah. This is, uh, this, this part's awesome. Um, <laughs> the, the ideal, like the vision is really that we have this infrastructure set up and anybody can work on any part of it as needed. We've seen numerous advantages of that approach in that, you know, if like one person leaves the organization, 
you're not screwed. You know, whereas if you divide it up and get people more specialized with a team the size of ours, you know, we have a relatively small team right now or uh, like half a dozen. We're in the process of, of expanding, but it's still real small. And so making a, a deliberate investment in people being able to work on different parts of the system is good for the organization, like I was saying. Um, I also prefer to attract developers who enjoy that kind of thing. You know, people who, who thrive when learning new technologies. I think it does wonders for the culture of the organization, creating like a culture of innovation where you're, it's you know, like innovation takes on kind of this micro level and the individual, individual developer level. Like, all right, man, today you got to go learn, learn, learn Kubernetes, right? Like that's innovation, even though like it's been done a million times, but for that person having to get their head wrapped around it requires like that, that same kind of like expansion of knowledge. And so you get your team just working that way on a daily basis creates an awesome culture. So you really are pushing the skills out, you know, sort of in the T, right? The T-shaped uh, employee. I imagine yeah. they're deep in something, yeah. but they're wide in many. Uh, right. Did you have any issues selling that up the chain? I don't know what your leadership structure looks like, you know, but sometimes there's this idea of, you know, hey, it's very expensive to earn on the job. Specialization is cheaper. You know, how does that fit into a cultural and budgeting standpoint? <laughs> You know, that is not a battle I've had trouble with. Um, you know, I think part of it is that I've been in a, a leadership position at the organization I'm at for, for years and years and developed a pretty high level of trust. That's probably more than anything what it is. Um, but I think they also kind of understand the risk associated with having, I guess, I's instead of T's. <laughs> And we've been burned over the years by that, you know, despite our best efforts, sometimes there are people that are really indispensable to the organization. We've had a couple of situations where those folks have left abruptly. So I think the, 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 the T is pretty well, you know, understood the advantages of that approach. Yeah, that's great. You know, I talk to a lot of leaders, maybe especially not as mature organizations where, you know, they're trying to really um, stretch that budget and demonstrate that it, we, Hey, we should allocate, you know, 20% of our time to making sure that there's redundancy and making sure that people are cross-trained instead of just hammering around on this, you know, backlog over and over and over again and more features and more features and more features and uh, no focus on, you know, either that training or education or on the technical debt implications of right. going that fast. And, you know, right. that, that that budget management is really what starts to take shape as an organization matures, can you remember back to the old days where, you know, some of that was more um, prescient? Cause I think that does seem to happen, but it happens at a certain maturity level. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the older days were <laughs> more in kind of an agency model, you know, where things were more, a little more project based. And even when we were working on like software as a service platform type stuff, we still had kind of inherited the agency mindset. And, uh, you know, that just gets awfully painful. You tend to fall into the, you know, like the hero pattern too easily, which plays again, directly against the kind of T distribution, you know, just makes that problem worse. So you got like the, you know, a couple of heroes and then heroes get burnt out predictably. And then, you know, you, you push, you kick the can down the road a little, down the road a little bit, but, uh, 
you, you still have the same problem. <laughs> and that happens to every startup, you know, when they're newer. Um, and right. you know, that, it, yeah, we think of it as an agency mindset if you've been in that world. But that's really happening with every new, you know, founder-based yeah. plus one other guy. You know, that, that happens. And that learning how to distro that work and become wiser about the utilization of your key players, I think is a real maturity point for a lot of organizations. Um, so I ask everybody this question. We are in the business of evaluating and, you know, bringing on the absolute best, you know, sort of A plus unicorn, super senior, you know, whatever you want to call them, <laughs> software engineers, you know, and, and we have a, a pretty rigorous, rigorous rubric for doing that and the heuristics that we use. But I like to ask all the tech leaders that, that we have on the podcast, you know, how do you evaluate all the, uh, all the world of senior engineers that you could bring on, how do you know the best ones and how do you, how do you measure that so that, you know, right. you pick the right people? Well, for me, you want it the way that I try to look at it is there are sort of elements of the work of a developer that are easier to train and there are elements that are very difficult to train up, you know? So the, the characteristics that are the most important to me are, are people who uh, <laughs> you know, just, first of all, just have the ability to code well. It's more of like a logical approach. You know, they can, you can toss them a funky problem and they'll break it down quickly, you know, like in the course of an interview in real time and make it simple. You know, they just, their brain simplifies complex problems. Like, yeah, I've never, that doesn't seem like something you can teach, right? So that's probably the single most important thing. You, you can give them like a database modeling exercise, you know, more old school, or you can give them like an astronomy exercise, like whatever the hell it is. Like you just give them like a, a complex thing and ask them to break it down, you know? And then I think the other, the next most important thing is the, um, you know, I guess it's kind of a combination of like a thirst for learning, like, like they just really want to, to, to get more knowledge, you know, combined with kind of a social sense of that, you know, people who can give feedback in a constructive way and receive constructive feedback. You know, there's been a handful of developers I've worked with over the years who are truly brilliant and who were worth the trouble most of the time but they, they failed to ascend to that like tier of like truly superb engineer because it was just like, man, it was like this, like freaking like awesome race car that keeps breaking down, you know, and the care and feeding was kind of onerous, you know, but if you can find people with that kind of horsepower who are also, they don't have to be like going out to the party and being all boom, 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 but they have to be able to be able to interact constructively professionally you know, you get that combo and like, I don't care if they're fresh out of college. I don't care if they have any work experience. I don't care if they're working on a different technology. Like all that stuff is like a piece of cake to get people up to speed on, you know? So that's a really great summation. Yeah. We hear a lot about problem solving. We hear a lot about, you know, communication abilities, but I love how you just put that. Let me go back and take notes from that one. Andrew, appreciate having you here. Uh, anything you want everybody to know about, fluid, you know, make sure that you get a little plug in for the company. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, fluid is doing really groundbreaking work, you know, with both our agency work and, and actually, you know, before I talk about fluid, I should say fluid is now a part of astound commerce. Um, astound commerce, um, 
as is a company that's been around for a long time. They have, uh, they've really mastered the offshore model of gaining more leverage and more, more throughput. And now we're, we're combining kind of the um, design and strategic expertise of fluid into the scale of a sound. So that's been really exciting to be a part of. And then fluid configure in particular is in that same position where we're now kind of in this incubator with this infrastructure through a stand where they have development offices in Colombia and Ukraine. So all the kinds of things we were just talking about are kind of hitting hyperdrive, which is super exciting. And, uh, and then on top of all that, you know, kind of this fertile ground for development, you got just an awesome client list. You know, I already mentioned Oakley and Fender and Louis Vuitton, the list goes on and on. So it's a really exciting time to be part of Astound, the merger with Fluid. Very cool. It's good to it's good <laughs> to hear about that. Good to have you on, and best of luck with that that big client list, new product. Appreciate the Thank connection. You. Yeah, thanks, Ledge. Pleasure talking with you. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us. Head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.